You guys can be seated. What a great time of worship. I think some of the things that kind of uh, really solidifies a lot of things in my heart about how worship and communion and the sermon we're about to, to hear, it all kind of connects and intertwines with what God is trying to do in his church. And, uh, one of the things that our staff and our elders meetings and different things that we're having around our church is the key word of respond, right? Respond, 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 respond is kind of a common theme of our, of our faith right now as we are Christians following Jesus. And so this morning, as we go into the word, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses, uh, the first 11 verses, we'll be studying those today. But uh, my heart for us as a church is that we will be a church that responds. Um, on Thursday night, we had a our first gathering. Uh, we call it the gathering. It's a prayer service that we opened up for our church. If you didn't hear about it, you need to get on Facebook and Instagram, right? Or you need to pay attention to the announcements on the screen there. Um, and so it'll be happening uh, once a month. It's the third Thursday of every month. And the, one of the common themes that we prayed for that night was that we will be a church that responds to God, to the Holy Spirit, and to, the, to God's Word. And so as we, as we jump in this morning, my prayer for you is that you wouldn't come and just listen to a, a crazy guy talk about Colossians 3 for, you know, for a little bit of time, but you would, you would listen to the Word of God and you would try to figure out what God is calling you to respond in in regard to the scripture this morning. That's our heart as a church. And so if you don't know me, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor here at this church in uh, Connects Church, Savannah. And that's our heart. That's what we're, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're leading um, as we go forward. And so today we're going to be in our the sixth week of our Kingdom Culture series, going through the book of Colossians. Uh, like I said, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. And this series um, has been challenging us to evaluate kind of if we're living under the authority of the king that we claim that we serve, right? Because our culture has taught us to give a lot of lip service, but not a lot of life service, right? We say one thing, but live another, you know, right? And so our, it's, it's normal in our culture to do that. And so um, the kind of the theme verse was back in chapter 1 where we saw... Uh, chapter 1 verse 13 where Paul wrote to the Colossians he says he Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has what transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves and so what that means is if you're a Christian in this place this morning you know you no longer live in the domain of darkness the worldly system the worldly culture you've been transferred in the spiritual world into the kingdom of the son that he loves one day that's going to become a reality your faith is going to be sight and you're going to worship Jesus face to face isn't that going to be great? I, I think it is. And so anyone who is in Christ has been transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. So this transference that happens when you were here and now you're here, you know, it has a purpose. It wasn't, it wasn't meaningless. If you're in Christ, there's a culture that should define your life, right? You, you don't go to another place to live and, and, and just bring your culture with you and expect them to bend to your ways. You, you've been to their ways, right? You're, you, you mold to the culture of the new kingdom. And, and what I want you to see this morning is that there's so many Christians that are just satisfied with just attending a church service once a week and thinking that that identifies them as a Christian. That's not the case. And as a Christian, a member of God's kingdom, we need to know this, that your primary purpose as a believer is to see God's glory fill the earth through your life, through the way you live and, and, real, and relate to other people, the way that you share the gospel with people. Because I know this for a fact, that we'll never fill the earth 
with God's glory by just coming to church on a Sunday morning. It won't happen. We can't just sit in our pretty churches or in our nice, clean connect groups. We're called to step into the darkness and bring people into the light. That's the heart of the church. And because the world, guys, needs to see and to start witnessing this demonstration of the gospel that we proclaim and proclaim and proclaim. We have to live it like we believe it, like Christ is central. And what we're looking at Colossians for this morning is the Colossian church was being tempted to add things to the gospel, to live a man-centered life focused on gaining more knowledge or spiritual experiences to kind of affirm their faith. But guys, we remember the the center of the gospel is not more spiritual insight or more uh, uh, intellectual knowledge about Jesus or or doctrines of our faith. The center of the gospel is Jesus having a relationship with Jesus. And what Paul did is he writes Colossians as a way to reestablish Jesus as central to the church in Colossae. And last week, what we saw was Paul showed us that legalism and idolatry are red flags that point to a, a huge misunderstanding of our new identity in Christ. Has anybody ever struggled with legalism and, 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 and uh, religion in this place? We all have. We all do. Even today, we may be living in religion and legalism. And the way we defeat that legalism and that religion in our lives is to exalt Christ, exalt Christ, exalt Christ. And so what we're going to see today is Paul is going to begin the final two chapters of this book by giving some practical application to this theological correction that he's been making with the Colossian church. Who likes to hear application to to some knowledge, right? How do I do it, right? How do I do this, right? So this is going to be some of the things we're going to talk about today. So God, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We adore you this morning, God, because you're the king of all things. This morning, I pray for our hearts that we would be soft. God, I pray that if there's a hard heart in this room, that you would soften it through the power of your spirit. I just pray, God, that we would respond to your voice. We respond to your word. We would respond to the leading that you, that you give us through your word. God, that we wouldn't be so skeptical of, of each other, that we would be trusting and and loving and knowing that the Spirit of God lives in us if we're in Christ. God, I pray that you would work in this place, work in this church, send us out of these walls, God. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, has anybody ever traveled to a foreign nation before? A few of us? Hey, friend, hey. Has anybody ever traveled to a, a more of a third world nation before or places that are just like totally, like, you know, this, I'm not at home anymore, right? Right, so you've been to these places. You you've had to you go and try to order food. It gets kind of awkward, right? You're like, I don't want that that one number two. That you're, you're trying to use hand signals. You're like giving baseball signals. You know, you're trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah, well, maybe it's like for y'all. Don't, don't, that was a baseball signal. Um, language, customs, like things that, that 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 they may do that may seem very weird to you, right? It's 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 a, it's a strange thing. Traditions. Um, and I started looking at some of these that I know of, and um, some of the uh, there's a tribe in Indonesia um, where, where we're sending a, um, Bo and Lauren to go into. We're going to send them there. there. There's a tribe there called the Danny tribe, and whenever someone in their family dies, the way they mourn is by cutting off one of their fingers. Like, what in the world? If I was in that culture, I'm like, you don't have to go that far, bro. Like, but, you know, it's like, it's, 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 but it's their culture. In Venezuela, this is some of y'all, I'm going to love this. Um, in Venezuela, it's, it's polite to be late. So some of you are like, I'm just in the wrong culture, right? And so like, it's, in Venezuela, it's polite to be late. If you, if you show up early to a dinner, you're looked at as being too eager and greedy. 
I'm like, wait a minute. That's a, huh? In Thailand, we were there this year, this June. We went to Thailand, took a group to Thailand, and there was a, there was a people group there. there was a, it was called the Long Neck Karens, and they had these metal plates that they would stack on their neck from a young age, and they had these huge long necks and they had these long arms and these long feet because they were distorting their body to look a certain way because their culture, that was seen as beautiful. Um, and if you dig into the culture, there's some more, there's some more deeper meaning in that. But there was a, there's a traditions there that the group from this church looked at. It was like, what is happening right now? It's like, this doesn't make sense in the way that we live. And so the culture, what I want to kind of give you an idea of what culture is. There's a definition that I have for it. It'll be on the screen. Um, culture is the set of shared attributes, values, goals, practices that characterize a group of people. And so what sets our culture apart? Can you think of things that set our culture apart? Your culture that we live in in America and Savannah, the surrounding areas. Um, you know, we have cultures here at the church. There's evangelism, community serving, and generosity. Those four cultures identify who we are. If you're going to be a member of Connection Church Savannah, those four cultures should identify your life, right? Community and serving and generosity. So my question, though, is, you know, these, those should be evident as well. But what sets the culture of the kingdom of God apart from the world? Because when Jesus says that you'll be persecuted in my name, what he's saying is if you're living in this kingdom culture, you're going to be persecuted because you're going to be different, right? And so what you see is if we claim to be followers of Jesus, the fruit of our lives will point to where our citizenship is. How you live, the way that you carry yourself, treat your wife, treat your spouse, carry yourself at work, share the gospel, make disciples... That fruit will point to what kingdom you belong to, the kingdom of God or the domain of darkness still, right? And that's the, that's the fruit of your life. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. And so let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read through this, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we'll dissect some of these verses. And this is what it says. So if, so he's, he's, he's referring back to last week, right? He's talking about all the things that, that we saw in, in Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. Um, it says, so if... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew uh, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, great, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so Paul, right here, what you're seeing is Paul is making it abundantly clear that seeking the things above and setting our hearts on things above are normal for their normal cultural practices of God's kingdom. They're normal. It's to seek things above, to set your mind on things above. And if I'm seeking things above and setting my mind on things above, that means the things of this world are going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate to things of this world a little bit differently than someone who's not a part of God's kingdom, right? There's going to be a difference in the way I relate to the world around me. And as we, as we live our lives, what this means is we're meant to express 
God's kingdom in the middle of our everyday life. Everything you do, the way you work, the way you treat your family, your friends, it's expressed in how you, you do your everyday life. The kingdom of God was, was not meant to be balanced with our lives in its little compartment that you attend a church service or a connect group or you serve on a, on a weekday to go serve a soup kitchen. This is not something that you balance on the scales of morality. The, the kingdom of God was meant to touch everything we are and everything we do. You see that? It, it, it's all-encompassing, right? Y'all awake this morning? Everybody good? Okay, good, good, good. All right, cool. We're a little bit heavy on this side, so if you see me looking this way, that's why. Okay, so, so it was meant to touch everything that you do. Uh, so Paul is saying, let your lives be defined by this new identity in Christ. Okay, so let your everything you do. Who knows that that, that life gets shorter as you get older, right? You, you your life just keeps running. Your you, your your life just keeps. You feel like I feel like I go to bed every five or ten minutes. I'm like I was just here. I was just here. I was just here. Man, that was a fast day. And then my days are clicking by, and it makes me wonder why David said, "Teach me to number my days." So we're supposed to be numbering our days to make the best use of our time to see Jesus's kingdom come to earth like it is in heaven. So what you see here, God is, Paul is saying, live your lives in a way where your new identity in Christ, you, you, new identity in Christ is seen by all. And so to live under this kingdom culture, what's happening is, is, is to, re, to live under the kingdom culture that Paul is referring to is to reorient your life to allow everything we do and everything we are to be touched by the king of this kingdom. Everything. So the question is, in your life, does the king have rule over your, over your extracurricular activities? Does he have rule over how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you treat your spouse? Does he have rule in your life? Well, a lot of Americans will be like, well, Jesus has rule over this, 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 and this. But these things, I'm just not ready to give these up yet, right? So I'm just going to hold on to these. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so in that arena, you can't necessarily say God, Jesus is Lord of all. He's just Lord of some, Right? And so our heart is that we would give him access to all of the areas of our life. And so what you see is it means that you are intimately connected to the church, the body of, the body of Christ. It means you're intimately connected in your generosity and how much, how you spend your time, your treasure, your talent for the kingdom. And so I think this, this whole scripture passage here can be summed up into one thing. This is God is calling every Christ follower to reorient their lives for the sake of the gospel. God is calling you, calling me, to reorient how we live our lives for the sake of the gospel. And so as we read this, let's, let's dissect some of these scriptures. We're going to dissect these probably two by two here. And so the goal is to see the kingdom of God come to earth by the way we live, right? That's the goal, to relate to one another in the church and how we worship God. And so we're going to dissect this uh, verses one through two, first two verses we're going to look at first. So let's jump into these. It says, so if you have been raised with Christ, set the th- set the, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so what this is saying is since believers, since followers of Christ have not only died with Christ, but have also been raised with Christ, they should set their hearts on the things where Christ is at. Right? You are, you are following this? You should, Patrick's not here anymore, so I can't hear people are getting it, right? And so, 
And so we have to make sure we understand that we're called to set our hearts and our minds on the place where Christ is. And so what this means is, as a believer, a believer's life should be dominated by the pattern of heaven, bringing heavenly direction to your earthly duties. So real quick is, in your life, can you say that everything that, that you're involved in from top to bottom is, is, is influenced by heavenly culture? Heavenly culture, Jesus in everything. And so what you want to see is what, what Paul is saying is this word said, it means to seek or to strive for. It means to fix our attention on things above, meaning centering our lives on a culture, a way of life, and the king, Jesus. And there's this assumption. This is what I want you to get. There's this assumption here as you read this in verse 1. So if, remember I told you that's the biggest word in the Bible, if, if circle that word, if, so if you have been raised with Christ, so he's, he says, he, there's an assumption here that some people may not have been raised with Christ, right? So he's saying, if you have been raised with Christ, then do these things. If you haven't been raised with Christ, then doing these things are going to hurt you because you can't do them in your own power, okay? And so what you see here is, is there's this assumption that Paul makes here that we've died to ourselves and we've been raised to life with Christ. And so I want, you, I want to tell you something this morning. Like As a Christian, I pray that you hear this, and I pray that you put this into practice, but this dying is required for you to be raised. You hear that? This dying to yourself is required for you to be raised with Christ. So unless you've died to yourself, the old man, you're not raised with Christ because you're still in this, the throne. And Jesus is not, is what you see here. Your life can't be raised up until you have died and laid it down. Many people come to Christ. I see this all the time. Many people come to Christ with this mindset. Well, there's parts of me that aren't so bad. You know, I, I can keep those things and just add a little Jesus over here, right? No, no. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 21, that you were alienated and hostile in your minds towards God. You, you, it's like saying, you know, I, I, was, I was only a little bit of a rebel. Well, you're still a rebel, right? You were, still, you were still against God, right? You were still in that moment. It's like looking at some of our enemies overseas that we have fought in the past. You know, there's probably some nice guys in there, but they're still the enemy, right? It's the same way that God looks at us before Christ. Acts 64, verse 4 says, all of our righteous acts are what? Like filthy rags. Everything we try to do in our own ability to do good, to get to God, are seen as filthy rags. And I'll let you do some study on the filthy rags Hebrew because it gets pretty disgusting. But it's like filthy rags before God. And so I want you to hear this morning is that until we realize that without Christ, we're rebels against God, no matter how good we are in the eyes of the world, we'll never understand our need for the gospel or what being made new really means. And so I pray this morning we would see that. So until we understand that we were dead in our sin, being raised with Christ won't mean much to us. Until you understand that you were dead in your sins, being raised with Christ doesn't mean anything. It just, it's just some religious jargon that you kind of understand, but you kind of don't. But until you understand that you were dead in your sins and Christ rose you from the dead, just like, Jesus, just like he was rose on the third day. So I want you, I want you to see all 11 of these verses... Our identity-centered verses saying, if this is who you are, this will be the fruit of your life that will affirm that. All 11 of these verses are pointing to that. So being a Christian, it means you have an extra dimension to your life. 
some of you are like checking out right now, getting too spooky. Like, no, this is, this is biblical, okay? So being a Christian means that you have an extra dimension in your life. There's a hidden resource and an invisible reality which the world doesn't have and can't see. This isn't, this isn't referring to Christ being up in heaven and unseeable, untouchable, unknowable. This refers to what Paul talked about earlier in this letter, Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're a Christian, Christ is in you, and that's the hope that you have looking forward to seeing that a physical reality one day of seeing Christ face to face. The Holy Spirit is seen as a deposit. Ephesians says it's a deposit that's given to you until the day you see Christ face to face. Well, you won't need a deposit anymore, right? So I want you to see that, okay? So it's, it's, it's only because we were raised with Christ that we can seek these things that are above. And so 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, Paul says again in another letter to the church in Corinth, he says, so we don't, we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's where we focus our attention at. So if, if you haven't discovered this yet as a Christian, if you haven't understood this yet as a Christian, you have not yet begun to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You haven't been able to live for the, for the freedom and the power that God promises his people because you, you haven't understood the culture. Remember I said before, it's hard to go to a new culture without knowing the culture. To be successful in a kingdom, you have to understand its culture. You need to learn the language. You need to learn some of the social norms so you don't make yourself look dumb. You say something or do something out of line in that culture, you have no idea what you did, but you're getting kicked out of a restaurant. You're getting kicked out of somebody's house. You're getting kicked out of this because you don't understand the culture. So we're called to seek to understand and to set our minds on heaven. So that verse one is that striving, that seeking. And that verse two is that concentrating, setting our minds on heaven. And last week we talked about that as those ascetic practices where they don't eat, don't drink, don't do these things, don't touch these things. This is not what this is talking about. Last week, those aesthetic practices, those things that were, those extreme disciplinary things that they were giving their lives to were more um, physical. And what Paul was talking about here is, is spiritual. He's talking about the heart. Where's your heart? How's your heart? How's your heart as you follow Christ? And, and this is why I want you to see is that rules without relationship will always lead us to rebellion. Rules without relationship with Jesus will always lead us to rebellion because if, as long as I'm trying to follow some rules without a relationship with Jesus, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really happy when I'm doing good and I'm really depressed when I'm doing bad. So eventually I'm going to buck that system, right? Let's keep reading. Verse three, for you died, underline that, circle that, whatever you got, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. The question you need to ask yourself this morning is, have I died? You will, remember your, you will remember your death. You will. So the question is, what day and what place did you die? And what place, what time did Jesus come into your life and take control? When did you die? And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so at the very moment of salvation, a Christian died to sin and was raised with Christ in God. We call that justification. 
You are justified. If you're justified in Christ, there's not one ounce of more justification that you need to be saved. I don't care how many times you come to church, how many times you read your Bible, how many times you pray, you will never be more saved than you are at the moment of justification. You see that? Sanctification, however, will happen if you are saved, right? That sanctification of knowing the word, understanding the word, becoming more like Christ little by little. There was this immediate shift of your identity that took place at justification. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with Christ, with him, in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So for you died and you were raised with Christ. What is it saying? So just like Christ died, went to the grave, right? You were raised to life just like Christ was raised on the third day. You have risen with Christ. So you should walk in the newness of life. And so what you see here, this word hidden, it implies this covering or the safety that you have if you're in Christ. We're, we're not yet glorified yet, but we're, but we're securing Christ while we wait on Christ's return. And so then it says, when Christ, who is your life, returns, will be with him in glory. Thank God. This is a good, this is a good topic. To bring joy to our face and our eyes and our hearts, and we should have a good time with this because it's amazing. The enemy has, has, has lulled a lot of us to sleep, has, has kind of oppressed us with life circumstances and situations where we can't focus on what's above because we got so much going on below, right? The enemy is winning a lot of those battles, and it's time for us to step up and look ahead. We have hope in what Jesus has done and what, what's to come. So this when it says, when Christ who is your life returns, we'll be with him in glory. So this eternal life is not some sort of pixie dust, heavenly pixie dust that God sprinkles on you when you trust Jesus. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm saved. I'm in eternal life. You know, No, eternal life, it says, is Jesus Christ himself. He, right? It says, who, when Christ who is your life you want some further, um, some, some, some more affirmation of this? Look in 1 John 5, 12. It says, the one who has the Son has what? Has life. The one who has Jesus has life. The one who does not have the Son, what? Does not have life. This is like ABCs, one, two. This is like simple. You have Jesus, you got life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have life. There's no like gray area. I kind of have Jesus, I kind of don't. If that's you this morning, you don't. And we need to work on that, okay? Okay, cool. Awesome. So, and Paul gives us a new focus. What's the new focus that Paul gives us in verses 3 and 4? The return of Christ. We just did communion, right? We're, we're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back for his bride or whenever we die and go see him. Like, we're looking forward to that day. I cannot wait to see Christ glorified. I mean, I'm going to be on my face because it's going to be overwhelming, right? But I can't wait to be in the presence of my Savior, as all of us should be, right? And so he gives us this secret to this type of living is found in verse 2, where it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The way that you live this out is setting your mind on Christ, setting your mind on the coming of Christ, setting your mind on what's to come, looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead. My hope is in Christ, not in this world. Man can do whatever he wants to to me, but I'm looking to Christ. This is how people who are jailed, who are persecuted, who are killed can look up to Christ and not worry about these things, but see an eternity with their Savior and be okay. This is where fear subsides. This is where 
anxiety goes away. This is where this is where the newness comes in. That's what I love. Our feet may be on earth, but our minds are in heaven. And this means that the practical everyday affairs of our life get their direction from Christ in heaven. If we're not waking up and saying, God, direct me today, and then being open to him directing you today, you're missing it. You may be a Christian, but your life may not be as full as it could be if you were following Christ the way he called you to follow him. It means that we look at earth from heaven's point of view instead of looking at heaven from earth's point of view. Do you see that? Well, how? Let's, I'll give you an example. When the nation of Israel came to the border of the promised land, they could see the promised land. It's like right there. Like All I got to do is go past this river, and I'm in the promised land, the land that God's given me, the land full of milk and honey. It's amazing. But, but because of fear, they refused to enter. And because of their unbelief, they had to wander the wilderness Turn around and go back into the wilderness for 40 years whenever the promised land was right there, right there. There's so many Christians that their, their lives could change in a second and they would just give it all to Jesus. This whole generation of Israelites died in the wilderness except for Caleb and Joshua, the only two spies who trusted God. So Israel sent these 12 spies into the promised land. They came back with these grapes that were huge, and these, this milk and the honey and all the things that they talk. And so these, gra- these clusters of grapes were put on this, this long pole, and it was carried between two men. That's how big the clusters of grapes were. It was a, it was a land that was bountiful of the blessing. God had given this to the Israelites, saying, here is the land I have promised you. But 10 of the 12 came back and said, it's great, but I'm a little nervous about the giants in the land, Right? It's great, but I don't know if I can go in there because I'm not really skilled with my sword like these guys are. I just want to kind of stay out here in the, in the wilderness and kind of just look at the promised land. No, what happened was Caleb and Joshua said, it's great, and because we have God on our side, we can defeat any enemy that puts itself in our way. Right? And so that's what Joshua and Caleb... So think about this. Joshua and Caleb were forced to walk in the wilderness for 40 years when they had been to the promised land. They were faithful, but their congregation wasn't faithful. So they had to go out and... All right, guys, well, let's go out in the wilderness. Uh, you know, let's do this. I was faithful. You weren't. Why do I got to do this? You know? But what, what helped them get through the 40 years in the wilderness was remembering and seeing what was to come in the promised land. Looking forward, looking ahead, they knew that their inheritance was coming and they lived in the light of that inheritance. And we do too. My question though is, are you living in light of your inheritance? Are you living in light of your circumstances that come your way? So let's read Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, because you're a member of a heavenly kingdom, a new kingdom culture, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. This is not saying, well, I'm trying. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to go through that. I'm going to get some help here. And put it to death. Quit. Right? Quit it. Stop doing it. Leave it alone. Put it away. Put it to death. Things that belong to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Because of what? Because of rebellion. God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. And you once walked in these ways when you were living in them, but now put away all 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So because you're a member of God's heavenly kingdom, a new kingdom culture, he says, put to death. Don't play with it. How many of us play with these things? I'm not just, I'm God's graceful. God's grace, grace. God. He's going to forgive me. I can just do these things for a little while. I'm, he's just a good God. You know, we don't play with sin. We put it to death. The Greek tense in this command suggests a very decisive action as if Paul was literally saying, kill it now with like three exclamation points behind it. Like, kill it now. Kill it now in your life. And so Jesus had, he'd already destroyed sin, but Christians are to live in the present reality of our future glory. So in other words, there's, they're not going to live as though they're still alive in sin when they're not. The Romans were living that way when Paul wrote to the Romans. They were like, well, we can go ahead and indulge in all these sins because God's graceful, right? Paul says in, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6, he says, what should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? He says, absolutely not. How can, we do, how can we, who died to sin, still live in it? It calls into question, if you're living in sin, it calls into question, have you truly died to that sin? And Paul gives us this contrast of these two kingdoms. He's showing the domain of darkness and the new kingdom of God. He's saying, since you're a part of this new kingdom, set your mind on that kingdom and its social and cultural norms. Think about it, look forward to it, because it's your home. Then we see him saying, set your minds on this earth. Then we see him saying, to set your mind on this domain of darkness, this earthly kingdom, is to live by the values of this kingdom of darkness that we're, that we're rescued from. And so this kingdom, the domain of darkness, the one you were rescued from, it sets itself up in opposition to God and his ways. We can't live there. This is why Colossians 1.21 said that before Christ, you were alienated from God and hostile to God, an enemy of God in his presence. So why, as a Christian, would we continue in this way? He says, put it to death now, today. Don't wait another minute. Put it to death. And this is where a lot of Christians struggle, man. We try to live in both kingdoms. Who's guilty? Me. We all are. I try to live with one foot over here and one foot over here. I'm pulled back and forth to the point where I'm depressed, oppressed, tired all the time, fatigued all the time because I'm trying to please the world, but I'm also trying to please God. I'm trying to, I'm trying to live in my sin, but I'm also trying to repent every day. So it's, it's tiresome. It's being, you're being ripped apart. Like We want to be saved, but we also like to control our lives too. Who likes to control? I like control. I like to control where I live and where I work and what I do. I like to be in control of my surroundings. We want, we want to be with Christ in eternity, but we insist on steering the ship of our lives while we're living here. Those two things don't mix. Those two things don't mix. Paul is showing us that that is foolish and it's impossible a man who shared a verse a minute ago, and it goes this, in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Let God transform your mind. Let's read verses 8 through 10. 
It says, but now put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, and slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and, and put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And so what we're seeing here is through the Colossian Christians, although they used to live like this before they came to know Christ, Paul commanded them to put it away. And so this word for put it away in this Greek form means to throw it off like a dirty shirt. Like take it off and throw it away, right? Take it off and throw it away. Anytime you look in the Bible, morality, um, spirituality, a lot of times it's compared to a garment. I put it on or I take it off, right? It has that, that, that idea of, of a garment. So a, a Christian is called to put on the new self, a, a new way of life. And so his, his life should reflect his new position in Christ, everything. And so this new self needs to be constantly renewed, though, because you're living in this kingdom of this world, right? And so Paul also expressed this idea of a continual renewal in 2 Corinthians. We see 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says, Therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person, that's the new man, our inner man is being renewed day by day. You have to have that. Romans 12, 2, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23, to be made new in the attitudes of our mind. There's this renewal all throughout Scripture that says, I'm a new person, I'm a new creation in Christ, but I need to be renewed day by day because I'm not living in my home. I'm living in a foreign land where I need to be taught, helped, encouraged, brought along. This is why the church is so important. And so we see, just like last week, this renewal happens through knowledge. This is Gnosko. This intimate experiential knowledge, not just an intellectual knowledge where I know a lot about the Bible. People say, well, I know about this. I know about this. Well, that's wonderful, but do you know Jesus? You have an experiential knowledge of Jesus where you know him and you're known by him because in that moment, unity is built. In that moment, we're brought together, not divided, Right? And remember, guys, this is what I want you to see. This renewal takes place as a believer comes into a personal, deep fellowship with Jesus. And this is the goal is for us to become like Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Everybody loves verse 28 where it says, all, God works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We love those Facebook posts, right? Because it feels good and romantic. But verse 29 says, the reason why he does 28 is to conform us into his image. So the thing in verse 28 that may, if you lost your job, you lost this, you lost, it may be even worse than that. And God is saying in that moment, that is good because I'm conforming you into my image. So the things we don't like, sometimes God is using to conform us into the image of Christ. Like, listen, you and I, guess what? We were created in the image of God. Look in Genesis 1. It says in 26 and 27, let us create man in our image. So what you see, but man sinned over in chapter 3 of Genesis. And so that image was distorted. The perfect image of God that God put on us was distorted by our sin. But despite the effects of sin, man still bears the image of God. So what we see is we were formed in the image of God. You see that? We were formed in the image of God. We were deformed by sin, but through Jesus, we're transformed back to God's image. You see that? So we're formed in God's image. Sin deformed us, and God transforms us into the likeness of Jesus through Jesus. 
It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful equation. And as we grow our experiential knowledge of God, we're being transformed by the Spirit of God to share in the image of God more and more and more. And this is God's central plan for you, is for you to be conformed into the image of his Son while we're waiting for his return, and we're called to become more and more like him. That's sanctification that we talked about a moment ago. The last verse before I get into some application. Verse 11. In Christ there is no Greek, Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. And so we see in Christ all human distinctions disappear. Right? You see, in Christ there's no more nationalities, neither Greek nor Jew. In Christ, there, you know, there, there's no recognition of formal religious differences, circumcision or uncircumcision, right? He removes those. The, the J- Jewish legalists were teaching that circumcision when it was necessary, but Paul made it clear that this physical act had nothing to do with your spiritual life, right? The Greeks, they considered all non-Greeks to be barbarians, and the Scythians were the lowest of all barbarians. You see that? But in Christ, a person's cultural status is no disadvantage or advantage. And so what you see, and finally, the last one, no slave or, or free, Economic status or political status means nothing in the kingdom. All these things, all these distinctions become belong to the old man and the old kingdom. It says Christ is in all and is all. It's the focus of this letter. Colossians 1.18 where Paul says, so that he might come to have what? First place, preeminence in everything in our lives. And so this is the summary of these verses is that we're alive in Christ, so we should seek heavenly things. But guess what? We're dead in Christ, therefore we should kill earthly things, right? We're called to be like Christ, so we must allow the Spirit to renew our minds, making us more like into the image of God. And so as we look into this, you know, there's two things that I want to leave you with very quickly. Um, And the first thing is that kingdom citizens live under kingdom culture. There's, there's no if, ands, or buts. If you're a kingdom citizen, you're going to live under the culture of the kingdom. Or, and if you don't, there's a reason to question, are you a part of the kingdom? Right? And our heart is that we would be a kingdom, we would be a part of the kingdom together as a church. Because let me tell you, as kingdom members, citizens, you live here, but you're not from here anymore. You may live here, but you're not from here. The Bible consistently refers to Christians as aliens in this world. As sojourners is what the Bible says in 1 Peter, passing through, headed to a heavenly kingdom. Philippians 3, we shared this on the first week of this series. Paul says our citizenship is where? In heaven. Our citizenship's in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that imagery in Exodus that we just talked about where the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, going from nation to nation. It wasn't their home. They were yearning for their promised land. Everything they did was to get them to the promised land that the Lord had promised. And the Bible says the kingdom of God is a kingdom with covenant rights for its citizens. Covenant rights, like a constitution. It has statutes and a laws and, and a government and monarchy. Our, our king is Jesus And as a follower of Jesus, guys, you're expected to learn to live here on earth in a manner consistent with your royal status, and you're expected to obey your king and his teachings. And if you don't, there's questions there, a lot of questions. And this is what makes the church so important. Guys, we're we're kingdom citizens awaiting on the arrival of our king, Jesus. And until Jesus comes for his church, we're called to live our lives to see his culture spread around the world. 
He desires his people from every nation, tribe, and language to be around his throne, worshiping him. And it's our job to be about his business of making disciples and sharing the good news of the gospel about his kingdom to everyone around us. There's nothing more important in your life than this. There's nothing else more important. So the knowledge that we're aliens on this earth keeps us from setting our hearts on the treasures of this earth. Reminding yourselves, this is not my home. This is not my home. I've been bought with a price. I'm a part of a new kingdom. I'm looking forward to the day my king comes for me. It keeps me from setting my treasures on this earth. Because Jesus warned us that, you know, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Or, or that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says this constantly in the, in the word. And so we're called to hold all that God gives us with open hands, knowing that any earthly gain is only temporary. And so as sojourners, don't put down roots in the places where, they, where we reside because we don't stay here long. We move on into our new kingdom as Jesus has going to come back one day for us. And so likewise, Christians, we don't pour our hearts and our passions into the things that won't last because the wise Christian is the one who lives every day with his bags packed, ready to go, eager to vacate this world when the Father calls us. Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live, I get to share the gospel. To die, I get to be with Christ. What a perspective. And the only thing that sets you apart, this is a big if. If the only thing that sets you apart as a kingdom citizen is that you attend a church gathering or a connect once a week and you're a nice person, then you're living under a massive misunderstanding of your relationship with Jesus. This is what your enemy is always trying to do. He, to get you to not live in your true identity as a Christian. He's always after your identity. And the church has to stand up and stop compromising itself with decisions made through a filter of the world rather than the kingdom of God. There's so many people feeling churches today that have no clue what it means to be to live as a citizen of heaven. And my prayer is that we would be. The last point as we close is you can't live for two kingdoms. You can't live for two kingdoms. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. So our passage this morning told us to seek things above, to set our hearts on things above. And this isn't talking about a seeking or a setting that happens on a schedule. This isn't talking about a setting or a, or a seeking that happens on a Sunday morning. This is, this is a lifestyle shift. I shift my lifestyle to a kingdom lifestyle. This is, and this looks radical to the world. People in the world are going to look at you like, what are you doing? You're moving where? You're doing what? You're giving what? How much? When? What are you doing with your life? I'm doing what the Lord told me to do. I have a kingdom mindset now. Guys, we can't balance things of this world with kingdom things we're called to live in. We can't balance these things, guys. We can't live in and serve two kingdoms. You can't live in the world and serve the world and live in the kingdom of God and serve the kingdom of, you can't serve God at the same time because what happens in any kingdom you go to in this world, when you try to live for two kingdoms, you'll be guilty of treason. Guilty of treason. So many of us have tried to do this or currently are doing this. Our culture tells you, you know, make yourself happy, grow up, go to college, get a job, get married, have two and a half kids, grow old, retire somewhere nice, enjoy life, do all these things. But my question for you today is what if none of this were God's plan for your life? What if the American dream was not God's plan for your life? How would you respond? 
Would you be rebellious? Is that what I'm doing anyway? Listen, guys, the cost of picking up your cross and following Jesus is steep. Capital S-T-E-E-P. Steep. It's very steep. The cost of following Jesus, it costs you everything you have, but in the end, the reward is sweet. You gain more than you ever thought you wanted. Guys, Paul told us to put off everything that belongs to our earthly nature and put on the new self and everything that, that belongs to our new reality and citizenship. And I have a, a little illustration that I want to show you that I have a, a, a hand-picked volunteer this morning. Uh, give Jared a hand, guys, everybody. He's a great guy. Great guy. And so this is what it looks like. So the, whenever before Christ, what happens is we are... We're, here, you put this. I don't want to be weird. So we, we have, this is what we look like before Christ. So we have, we're living in this place, this old self. Paul says, you know, put away impurity, put away anger, greed, idols, malice, lies, pride, you know, filthy language, sexual morality, lust. What's the other one? Uh, yeah, evil desires. So put these things away. And so, but instead we try to balance these things. I try to do more good than bad. So what do I do? I, I, I say, I'm going to go to church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to get into discipleship. I'm going to join a kindergarten group. So what happens is we just try to make it a little less bad by, by just adding something else to our, our reality. So I, what I try to do is I try to put religion on top of it to make it better. You see what I'm saying? I try to add religion to, to all these things to make me look better. And I try to add something here or something there. But what happens is people around you aren't fooled. They can still see under your mask, right? You see that? So they can still see all the things you're trying to hide with religion. Going to church, going to connect group, praying, being involved in discipleship, worshiping God, whatever it may be that you try to do to cover up all the things that God told you to take off is wrong. This is just as wrong as all these other things that you try to cover it up with. This is just as bad. So what, you can take them off. So what Jesus told you to do is to take these things off and like throw it over there like really angrily, like, I'm mad. Yes. So, so, then, so then like he's called you to put on the new creation, the new self, this, this redeemed, uh, this kingdom citizen where you're, you're, your culture is now being uh, determined by the Holy Spirit of Jesus working in you and doing through you which you can't do in your own ability. Those old things are gone. Are you still struggling with sin? Yes, because you live in a sinful world, but that's why you need to be renewed day by day in the Word of God, in prayer, not for religion, but to renew you and to become to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You see that? Thank you. Thanks, Jared. So that's the heart. So the question is, guys, as we close today, as we, get, as we as get ready to pray this out, are we willing to let go of everything we're holding on to to follow Jesus? Are we willing to let go of everything, how we think church should be, how we think uh, people should act, or how we think we should be treated, or how we think that life should be going for me right now? Are we willing to let go of our addictions, our shame, our past? Are we willing to let go of control of our marriage, control of our kids, control of our lives, control of our jobs? Are we willing to let go of everything that may be holding us back to follow Jesus? Every hurt, every hang-up, every addiction, everything. Because here's the thing. The Bible teaches consistently that if you're not, then it's impossible to follow Christ. The rich young ruler, he said, I've done all these things. I've kept the law perfectly. And Jesus is like, come on, my bro, come on. Really? 
Now, I've done all the things. I've kept all the commands. Well, Jesus saw below all of that and said, this man was, he loved money because he was wealthy. He said, sell everything you have and follow me. Is money what holds us back? I don't want to go to this foreign land. I don't want to move to this place. I don't want to make disciples because I have to change my job schedule and not have as much money. Are we worshiping money? What is it that holds you back? Where are you at today? There are people in here today that, you know, and I think just because we're a church, myself included, we're all in this together. There are people in here today and in every church across America and the world that are saying one thing and that are living another. And I pray, like I said at the beginning, that we would respond to the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives. There are people who are followers of Jesus but have never tasted the kingdom because they haven't let go of everything. And so this morning, I want to do something very bold. There's things in your life that you're hanging on to. It might be something that happened to you 30 years ago, but you haven't released it yet. I want the prayer team to come actually to the front. I haven't prepared them for this, so they look wild-eyed. That's probably because they are. They're not prepared for this. And I just want you to come up to this place. If you have something in your life that you need to lay down, I don't care if it's as small as, hey, I'm religious and I haven't given my whole heart to Christ, or I'm having a problem with my marriage and I need help, or I just, my heart's just numb. I just need, I need prayer. I want you to come up to one of these people and just say, I, I just, this is what I need. If you need Jesus this morning, walk up to one of these people and say, I need Jesus. And they'll lead you to the throne of Christ. They'll lead you into a relationship with Jesus, connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus. Because that's our heart for you, is that you would walk in the freedom that is a relationship with Christ. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Jesus was made sin on your behalf. God made Jesus sin so that you could live forever with him. He died on the cross in your place so that you can be raised with him like we talked about today. And this morning you know that there's something missing, there's a hole in your heart that you don't know how to fix. I promise you Jesus is the thing that you're looking for. And this morning, if that's you, I want to pray that you would come and just battle this altar. Talk to one of our prayer counselors. Be involved. Respond to what God is doing. Don't just sit there. So let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you. We adore you. We worship you this morning, God. Thank you for all that you are, all that you've done. I pray for the person in this room this morning that is struggling with sin or struggling with religion or doubt or struggling with whatever it may be, Father, that you would just meet them in the place they are in right now. God, if it's pride, I pray that you would humble them in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would just allow them to have the boldness to step out of their seat, Father, and respond to you, Jesus. I pray, Father, for salvation. I pray, Father, that you would just break down the walls of religion and sin and that you would see a son or a daughter come to faith in you this morning. Lord, we give you the worship. We give you the honor because you deserve it. God, let us be a church that always exalts you. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you revealed to us through this morning. We just pray that you would just use this time of worship to to mold our hearts more to the image and renew us day by day as you promised, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.